The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We gather for ordered worship to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. We gather to worship Almighty God. The liturgy, music, and homily this day are offered in the praise of God for our community gathered here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. Especially this Lord's Day, we warmly greet our regular live listeners around the globe, Paris, London, New York, Chicago, San Diego, Kyoto, and Beijing. We particularly today greet those regularly present on Sunday who, due to current conditions, are listening this morning on the radio at home, including those in Newburyport, Marblehead, Milton, Brookline, Rhode Island, Wellesley, Somerville, West Roxbury, Osterville, Lynn, Middleton, Stowe, and Beacon Street. If you are tuning in for the first time or for the first time in a long time, please know how happy we are that you have joined us. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. pray. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God 
forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, our Kyrie eleison and prayer of confession are meant to open us to be transformed, to have changed perspectives, to greet this as a day of new beginnings, to help us to think in a different way. For example, what if the Bible had been written in snowy New England rather than sunny Near East? Imagine. And God separated the snowbanks from the snowbanks, those from under the firmament from those over the firmament, and God called the firmament heaven, and there was evening and morning, a second day. And Abraham took his huskies to drink by the frozen lake, and there met Rebekah, who came to break the ice and draw water. And he said, pray, put down your pickaxe and let me drink from the icy flow. And Pharaoh's daughter saw a sled come by downhill, in which there was wrapped in a snowsuit a little boy named Moses. Pharaoh's daughter took him home and warmed him by the fire. And after the children of Israel had skated across the frozen blue sea and Pharaoh's army was in close pursuit, the Lord God sent a heat wave that melted the ice and Pharaoh and his chariots and his army plunged down into the briny deep. By the icicles of Babylon we sat down and wept as our tormentors said to us, sing to us one of the songs of Zion. Save me, O God, for the avalanche has cascaded upon me. I have fallen into deep drifts, and the snow sweeps over me. Many snowdrifts cannot bury love, and neither can blizzards smother it. Let justice roll down like an avalanche, and righteousness is an unending blizzard. I baptize you with snow, but one is coming who will baptize you with fire. Except a man be born of snow and the spirit, he will not enter the kingdom of heaven. God sends his snow upon the just and the unjust alike. And the wise man built his house upon the rock, and the snow fell, and the blizzard came, and the ocean effect wind blew and beat upon that house, but it did not fall because it was founded upon the rock. As the choir sings, may we offer our personal prayer of confession. Let us pray. good news. If we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides, 
We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake, so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day for this slight momentary affliction as preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me for reading <clears throat> in reading verses from Psalm 50 with the Antiphon. Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and does not keep silence, before whom is a devouring fire, round about whom is a mighty tempest. God calls to the heavens above and to the earth that the people may be judged. Gather to me my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare God's righteousness, for God himself is judge. Please rise in body or in spirit for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
please be seated. When and how does a moment of insight come? What are the steps up along the mountain trails, the high peaks of life that give a moment of clarity that can save us? Peter has just heard our Lord's ageless, ageless command, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow. Then Peter is led, step by step, up a high mountain where something unearthly occurs. He sees what cannot be seen. And from this high peak for a moment, there is insight and there is clarity. When and how does such a moment arrive? Today's good news offers us a mountain view, clarity, and insight found step by step along the rocky trail of life that can lift us up above sin and death and the threat of meaninglessness. It's a five-step schedule program inspired by jo Josiah Royce's little Boston book of 1912, The Sources of Religious Insight. In earshot of insight on the mountain of transfiguration, walk along with me, if you will, for just a few moments, up the mountain path we go, and take, come Sunday, a divergent road. Insight is born in worship. One step toward insight lies through the thicket of personal need. Careful, step carefully here. Here we recognize our mortality, it's a great life, but few of us get out alive, said one. We truly do not know the hurts and needs others face. Every heart has secret sorrows. Here, you admit that the acts of desperation in news reports come from conditions you also know. <coughs> Fear, anger, jealousy, hatred, dread. Here, step lightly. You see the shadow and your shadow in the greater shadow. One called this the feeling of absolute dependence. <coughs> A long time ago, I was left for the first time alone with our first child to give her mother a much-deserved night out. Our daughter had been most, the most pleasant of children, happy and bright, sleeping through the night. She hardly cried. But that night, at the very moment the door closed and the car drove off, she began to wail, not to whimper or weep, but to wail, five, 25, 55 minutes. And I was really shaken, frustrated, at my wit's end. Over the din of the crying, I heard the doorbell. In came our church's lay leader, Bernice Danks a veteran nurse and teacher of nurses at Cornell, <coughs> who wordlessly took the child, and somehow the crying ceased. She said, oh, I like to make a few house visits a week. It's a little routine of mine. You know, I tell my nursing students that we call the things that are most important routine. And I came by the parsonage, and for some reason, I decided to stop. I hope you don't mind the intrusion. What a pleasant, quiet baby she is. Maybe in this winter of our snowy discontent, even we who are more ambulatory as we skitter through the snow will, in seeing our own personal need, connect with that of others. How my friend Tim, for instance, in a wheelchair, confronts the very same drifts that we ourselves have a hard time crossing. Insight comes through an experience of individual personal need. When we are helpless, insight can come. John Wesley is still with us to ask, will you visit from house to house? Insight sees inside the closed door of personal need and measures the distance between public appearance and private reality. And we recognize personal need every Sunday at Marsh Chapel in the confession and in the Kyrie, our cry for forgiveness. A second step toward insight lies over the river of another's hurt. Here we'll jump the river at the portage path where we bear each other's burdens like canoes carried in tandem. 
A moment of clarity can come when you truly see another's plight and feel it in your own heart. Some insight comes from serving others, some from sensing others hurt. It is really a matter of understanding power, this insight about others. Think of the prince and the pauper, or of Lazarus and Dives. Insight happens in the chorus of common life when we sing out, so that's part of what it's like to be you. The social gospel tradition, theological and political, Douglas, Anthony, Gladden, Rauschenbusch, and others, may be criticized as a Johnny one-note presentation, but if you have to choose just one note to play, this is one to pick. Jesus means freedom. Real religion is never very far from justice. To learn about the nature of power and the effects of power, we need carefully to listen to those who have less power. Men, listen to women about whom you care. Majority, listen to minorities with whom you have fellow feeling and connection. Insight comes through the lifelong common song that recognizes another's hurt. In this February of the year of our Lord 2015, perhaps you imagine Elijah the prophet, a chair left open for him guarding a shoveled parking spot in South Boston, that is, the spirit of Elijah, broods over the face of New England snowfields. The sore muscles of a shoveling people, the tired torsos of a commuting community, the undaunted willingness still to help a neighbor, the gritty determination to get through the blizzard, the awareness of needs for investment in the communal forms of transport, the gladness of children as well as the long labors of adults, that same spirit of Elijah visits us and reminds us, among other things, it will melt. You may not daily see Elijah, but his spirit is presence in the stamina, perseverance, goodness of a good, prayerful New England people. Morning and reading, mealtime and prayer, evening and quiet, Sunday in worship, you know, we recognize this chance for insight every Sunday at Marsh Chapel as we sing hymns together in four-part harmony to recognize that we are all in this together, especially on a snow day. A third step toward insight lies over the cliff of reason. Come, let us reason together, says the psalmist. God has entrusted us with freedom and with minds to think through our use of freedom. And while reason has its limits, it is reason, finally, that will help us learn the arts of disagreement at home, at work, at church, in the community. We say to one another and to ourselves quietly, try to be reasonable. And reason often prevails. If you ever doubt the power of reason to bring insight, remember the words of the psalmist, and the voices of great minds through the ages. Josiah Royce's book, Sources of Religious Insight, is itself a gem of such reasoned discourse. Come, let us reason together. He wrote, Now I submit to you that this meaning of the word reason is perfectly familiar to all of you. Reason from this point of view is the power to see widely and steadily and connectedly. Its true opponent is not intuition, but whatever makes us narrow in outlook and consequently prey to our own caprices. The unreasonable person is the person who can see but one thing at a time when he ought to see two or many to get things together, who can grasp but one idea when a synthesis of ideas is required. The reasonable person is capable of synopsis, of viewing both or many sides of a question, of comparing various motives, of taking interest in a totality rather than in a scattered multiplicity. 
It takes something like this capacity to reason together, to develop a friendship or a healthy marriage. On this very snowbound weekend, two beautiful couples, one yesterday afternoon and one this afternoon, take their vows right here in the nave of Marsh Chapel. One couple met in the undergraduate BU class of 2006, and the other are both postdocs here, one's family from England and one's family from France, and to them both we say, welcome to Boston this weekend. And they say to one another, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. That is, to find a way to reason together. Our Boston University Assistant Vice President of the Office of Marketing and Communications and Executive Editor of BU Today, Art Yonke, kindly asked about the service and the sermon this morning. And we said, this is a sermon about insight. Whence insight? You know, we recognize this chance for insight, this moment of clarity, every Sunday at Marsh Chapel through a sermon, a word hopefully fitly spoken, as in hopefully right now. A fourth step toward insight lies across the great gorge of the will. Look before you leap. We are here ever closer to the high peak, to the mountain top. Real insight comes in a moment of decision. Some say we learn to choose, but our experience, I dare say your experience, is that we learn by choosing. Viktor Frankl spent his whole life developing the logotherapy around this one conviction. We grow by deciding. We grow by choosing. So, choose. In one sense, you cannot lose. In the fullest sense, you cannot lose. In the long run, you cannot lose. Choose. Either way, whichever you choose, you have learned, you will grow, you have changed, you will improve, you have developed. So choose. Faith is not a matter of emotion or feeling or soul or heart or intellect only. In the first place, Faith is a choice. It is a decision. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow. So as Kierkegaard put it, either or, decide. Either you see God in Christ or not, decide. Either Christ has a claim on your life or not, decide. Either every day is a chance for love or not, decide. Either the way of love means particular consequent acts regarding time, money, body, and community, or not, decide. Faith is not as much thrill as it is will. You share with me today a desire to honor those who have chosen to help us this morning. Our choir and musicians somehow, somehow present and accounted for a veritable miracle on ice. Here they are. Our support staff, including Office and others, and Tim, who shoveled out the plaza, and David, who cleaned and warmed the sanctuary, and both who are in and out of worship Sunday by Sunday. The dedicated choices, choices, over decades by Boston University to support this broadcast worship service and by WBUR to carry this broadcast, and by our engineer, Eddie, to manage the broadcast, and our ushers in the back and our readers in the front and all manner of friends in between. Thank you. You know, we recognize this chance for insight, this moment of choice, every Sunday in a moment of announcement and invitation to devotion, to discipline, to dedication. A fifth step toward insight brings us to the summit. 
We'll take a breath here for a moment. Up here the air is rarefied. Up here you may have a moment of clarity. For the fifth step toward insight brings us to the altar of loyalty. We are in the thin air that requires a use of archaic words like loyalty, like duty, like chivalry. Beware, though, the sense that loyalty is a matter of sullen obedience. Nothing could be farther from the truth. On the contrary, loyalty is the red flame lit in the heart's chancel, lit with the admixture of personal need and of social concern and illumined by the reason and ignited by the will. Loyalty combines the conservative concern for morality with the liberal hunger for justice. Loyalty is life itself, but life with a guiding purpose. Insight, real clarity, can come with a brush-up with loyalty. That is, you tell me what you give to, and I will tell you who you are. You tell me what you sacrifice for, and I will tell you who you are. You tell me what altar you face, and I will tell you who you are. And real loyalty is magnanimous. Real loyalty is big-hearted, big-hearted enough to honor an opponent's own loyalty. At the summit, there can be a reverent respect for another's different loyalty, truly lived, even when it clashes with our own, maybe especially when it clashes with our own. So Ulysses S. Grant may well have felt at Appomattox as he took the sword from Robert E. Lee. It is chivalry, this honoring of loyal opposition. We were once known for that kind of magnanimous, broad, open-hearted chivalry, a reverent respect for divergent loyalties as long as they do not eclipse the one great loyalty. You hear this kind of chivalry from, say, a football player this past winter who had lost a game and confessed a burly, bearded lineman who said simply, well, we lost, they played better than we did. Such a memory may help our political conversations, reminding us that at depth, loyalties may converge out of difference. Surface difference can occlude deeper agreements. Loyalty has a magnanimous depth that honors others' divergent loyalties. You know, one of the strangest turns in the New Testament is found in 1 Corinthians 15. After Paul has reached the very summit of our faith and sings of the resurrection in heavenly tones, then he immediately turns to, do you remember what? The collection, the offering for the saints, the poor in Jerusalem. It's a matter of loyalty. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know we recognize this chance for insight every Sunday at Marsh Chapel through the presentation of gifts, which is an expression of loyalty at the altar of grace, freedom, and love. Several years ago, we worshiped in a little Adirondack chapel up at the end of the trail, high up in the high, high peaks, beyond Owl's Head and Chasm Falls and Mountain View, there in Wolf Pond with its chapel and pump organ and wooden pews and simple pulpit, and humble service, though that worship service was like many and very much like this one as well. Embedded in this service right now is a chance for saving insight as we recognize personal need, others' hurts, the power of reason, the importance of will, the force of loyalty in the prayer of confession, the music of the community, the preaching of the word, the invitation to decision, and the loyal offering of gifts. So, friends, this Lent, let insight abound on the curvaceous slopes of personal need. Let insight abound on the majestic mountains of social holiness. 
Let insight abound on the prodigious cliffs of reason and will. Let insight (coughs) abound on the purple mountain summit of loyalty. From every high peak, every mountain view, let insight abound. You know, sometimes we can get deluded to think that (coughs) worship is optional. Many things are optional. For those, however, like you and me and others who desire to see life as human and keep life human, worship is essential, essential, essential to insight, essential to the insight that keeps life human. How can we be human without seeing our own frailty, without knowing another's pain, without learning to reason together, without the courage to decide, without the love of loyalty? So let us improve in Lent. Let us worship God together. (coughs) As you are doing, do so more and more. Let us make it our earnest desire to worship God each Lord's Day. Let us make preparation for our ordered worship in daily prayer and reading. Let us do as Oliver Wendell Holmes regularly did with every sermon, ill or well though the sermon was, he said of it, I applied it to myself. Let us shake off our timidity and seize every opportunity to include others, friend and neighbor and relative in worship. And let us savor the memory of Sunday all week long, humming familiar verses, reciting familiar phrases, pondering various familiar themes. Let us expect and experience love, presence, God, let us prepare to worship in the Lent of 2015. Amen. As we enter a time of prayer, I invite you to assume a posture that best allows you to support the prayers of the community. Remain seated, stand, or come kneel at the altar rail as the choir leads us in our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Rejoicing in the light of the transfiguration, we pray for the church, the world, and all according to their needs. Each petition will conclude with Lord in your mercy, to which the response will be, hear our prayer. God of peace, our world feels more out of control every day. We've been fighting for so long that it seems no one remembers how it got started in the first place, and our hearts yearn for peace and rest. We're lost in this chaos of guns and bombs, starvation and disease and death. Show us the way home. Be with us as we strive to be workers of your peace and be with our political and religious leaders that they may set an example we can all follow. Help us to put aside our petty agendas and trivial disagreements so that we can work to make the world a better place. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of love, on this Valentine's Day weekend, we give you thanks for all those we love. May we also remember all those for whom this weekend causes pain. Send your spirit to comfort those who are alone and strengthen those in abusive relationships to seek the help they need and deserve. 
We also pray and hope for the day when all people everywhere will be free to love who they love without judgment and discrimination. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of abundance, you have showered us with grace upon grace this last month, more than we deserve and perhaps more than we wanted. As we bundle up inside our houses, cupboards full of food, hands clasped around hot beverages, we pray for all those working around the clock to clear streets and sidewalks, as well as those who have spent nights away from their families, especially in the healthcare professions and those on campus who prepare meals. We also pray for all those out on the streets who don't have a home to be away from, Shelter them from the storm and be with us as we work to provide for the most vulnerable among us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of light, just as you have shown in our hearts, help us to shine out among all your people. When we think we have it all figured out and want to stay exactly where we are, help us to listen to you and follow your path. Bring us down from the mountaintop to do the work of your justice and peace in the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Hear the hopes and prayers of our hearts, O God, and grant us your peace through Jesus Christ, our light and life. Amen. And now let us pray together in the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father. Good morning. We welcome you again on this snowy, okay, blizzardy, okay, let's call a spade a spade, snow a caney morning. We are delighted that you are with us this morning, whether you trekked through the snow or simply turned on your radio or tuned in online. And a special welcome to those who are joining us because their regular services of worship were canceled because of the snow. We are delighted to worship and fellowship with you this morning. Three very brief announcements. As the university is closed, all events and activities after the service this morning are canceled. Second, although you may feel as though we've been doing plenty of penance in Boston already, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday and marks the beginning of Lent. We have services at 8.30 a.m., 5.15 p.m., and 6 p.m., with the imposition of ashes available at each. We hope to see you there. Lastly, I want to extend deep thanks to the members of our community who braved the blizzard to help us bring worship to you this morning. We are very grateful to members of our choir and music staff, our ushers, our ministry team, our dean, our sound engineer, our sacristan, and especially our facilities staff who have literally cleared the way for us to be here. Some of us have walked from as far away as Jamaica Plain so that we might worship together. 
So as our ushers wait upon us for our morning tithes and offerings, let us remember that it is a gift and a joy to be a giver. Whether you are sharing your resources in person or online via the giving link at the chapel website, we thank you for joining us in the discipline of generosity. God of abundance and love, receive these gifts earnestly given and grant grace to the givers for the building of your kingdom and the transformation of the world. In Christ's holy name and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.
well-beloved, sturdy saints, those who have made your way to this place of worship to be together in community. God bless you, everyone. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forever.